As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. got to be on the same page you know we've got a great group of guys the energy level is extreme we've got good veteran leadership on this team I like the culture here better than any of the teams I've had in a long time or been a part of there's been one demand and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy period that's all I care about is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here the prime thing is you have to win you have to win Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I'm Jimmy Durkin. We got Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, Ted Nguyen, ready to get the 1-0 Las Vegas Raiders set to take on the 1-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. And to help us with that, we've got Mark Caboli, uh, our one of our Steelers writers from The Athletic. Great Steelers coverage. Uh, check him out. Uh, get ready for Sunday's game in Pittsburgh. Mark, thanks for joining us. How you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. I mean, this is a game that I think you, you look at two teams that we came into the season not really knowing what to expect. Raiders had question marks. Steelers had question marks. You knew that they had a good defense, um, a lot of talent on that uh, up in that front seven, and uh, they bring T.J. Watt, they get him re-signed, but we didn't know what to make of Ben Roethlisberger, that offensive line, what were they going to be able to do. They go in week one, and, and they're able to take down one of the, the real favorites in the AFC and the Buffalo Bills. What did you learn from the Steelers in week one, and, and kind of what are your expectations now going forward? Well, I think the defense might be better than a lot of us have expected. I mean, when you go into a, an environment like Buffalo, and be able to shut down that high caliber of offense. And the way they did it was quite simple, too. I mean, they rushed four guys. They rushed three guys maybe two or three times. They may have blitzed once, and they were able to get a ton of pressure on Allen. I think that's what I learned is maybe this defense can carry him through some of this offensive woes, you know, early in the season. Mark, what do you see as the, uh, the key matchup this weekend? Oh, number 83. Got to stop that guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Mike Tomlin is pretty much, and the entire Steelers defense, come to the fact that he's going to get his. I mean, 
you can't stop 19 targets. If you want to get him the ball, Darren Waller, you're going to get him the ball. They just don't want him to have one of those 14-catch, 180-yard, two-touchdown types of games. So I think that's a huge matchup, too. And one that might be going under a radar a little bit is and what didn't happen in Buffalo was Buffalo either doesn't want to run the ball or can't run the ball. I think it's more that they don't want to run the ball. And that presents, you know, one-dimensional team where they're able to play nickel or dime the entire game. I think they had three snaps of base defense in the entire game, 83 snaps. That's pretty significant. So if if the Raiders can run the ball, I think it could present a problem. I think that's the two big keys right there. Mark, the, the Raiders were able to limit the Ravens' downfield passing game. They, they play cover three, so it's kind of the, the goal of you know, Big Ben – doesn't have the same arm that he used to earlier in his career. Is there any concern on, on their side just with, you know, the deep passing game, or is that just not a big part of their offense anymore? Well, you know what? There was a lot of talk about how he didn't throw a ball over 20 yards. But, no, I don't think it is a huge part of their offense. They want to take shots from time to time. But that's not going to be something that they base their offense on. They want to run the ball. They weren't able to last week. The Steelers have always been that quick throw type of team. Even with the new offensive coordinator, he's still going to have those plays where you get the ball into Deontay Johnson's hands and let him gain the yards after the catch, relatively easy catches, you know, run after the catch type of stuff. Now he'll, he'll, he'll try some down the field if they present themselves. I think what, what Roethlisberger does is is pretty smart is he'll come to the line. I think any good quarterback is he's basically doing math out there, man. He's, he's seeing how many is in the box. He's seeing where the one-on-one matchup is. And if it is favorable to them, he'll take a shot. He did that a couple times last week, staying away from Tredavious White, going toward Levi Wallace. So I think that's where you have to look at. He'll pick and choose the favorable matchups to take those shots. They're not just going to throw the ball 30, 40 yard down the field or 25 yard in cuts. That's just not what they're going to do. How much of that do you think is because of Roethlisberger's arm? I mean, I, I watched the game and it just didn't seem like he had a lot of zip on the ball, especially on, you know, outside breaking throws. It seems like this offense is kind of predicated on, you know, using his brain and getting the ball out quickly, like you said. But it just doesn't seem like he, he can make those sideline throws like he used to. Yeah, you know what? The thing is, is all during training camp and practice, I mean, there's been no issue. You know, he has to be a little bit cautious because you got four new starters up front. You got two rookies and a guy that's played, you know, two starts in his life up front. I still think he has enough arm strength to get it done. I mean, those are still long throws from, you know, one hash to the, to the boundary. So I, I don't think that's a huge, huge issue. He's not going to throw the ball out of the stadium like some of these younger quarterbacks. But I think like you mentioned, the brains are there where he doesn't necessarily need to overwhelm people with the strength of his arms. If he continuously puts them in right situations and make right reads. And I think that's where he's been pretty much underrated, at least over the last, you know, five to seven years of his career, he's been pretty good at making the correct decisions and using his brain more than he's been using his arm and his body. Defensively up front, obviously a lot of attention goes to Watt and Hayward, but I think one, player Raider fans are going to be interested to watch all off season. They brought in Gus Bradley and, and they kind of assembled the Gus Bradley all-stars. He was a guy they looked at and, and they passed on. Um, what did you see out of him in week one? Looked like he w- was pretty good out there. 
I'm assuming you're talking about Melvin Ingram. But since the day he stepped on the so-called campus here at the facility, he's been a star. I mean, you could see it with his ability, just the number. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys the number of pass rushing moves. He's healthy now. And now he brings him that veteran leadership. I mean, we were deep into June when he finally signed. He's been spectacular. He's been absolutely spectacular all through training camp, all through preseason. And that first game, I think he had eight pressures, eight to nine pressures in that first game. And it allows them to run a three-man rotation, so to speak, now with those outside rush guys with Alex Highsmith, a younger guy who's pretty good, and Watt. I mean, it's just, I mean, especially now with two it out, they have to find another playmaker. And I think Ingram's been tremendous. All right, Mark. Hey, we really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, look forward to checking out your coverage all week and, and on Sunday when uh, Raiders take on the Steelers. All right, guys. We'll see you in Pittsburgh, whoever's coming. All right. Well, uh, man, Melvin Ingram uh, m- might be able to help the Raiders right now as Yannick Ngankwe uh, might be out for a little while. But well, that was the one guy that you know, we kept kind of assuming that the Raiders would be interested in. Vic, you had kind of reported that they, they'd worked him out and Weren't really that impressed, right? And I don't know if maybe he he improved from uh, from then. Yeah, I thought he was going to sign. Like he was in town, I think. I mean, he was tweeting out photos of the Vegas Strip. He was definitely he was fired up. I just think he wasn't in shape. I mean, Mark mentioned he's in great shape now, looks good. But back then, he wasn't. I think they had other things they could look at. Other, you know, Austin and Gakwe, other guys were looking at. So obviously, Gus Bradley's shown he wants as many of his guys as possible. We I mean, brought in so many guys already. You know, that's Epps one that he definitely likes a lot. But just at that time, that moment of time. It wasn't quite ready to be done, so it didn't happen. But I think it worked out fine. I think uh, we've seen, you know, obviously he's playing well there. And uh, Carl Nassib's definitely taking a step up with, uh, with the Raiders. So, uh, so far, so good for everybody. All right, in terms of the injuries to Sean, uh, what are things looking like right now? In Gonkwe, we don't really know, but doesn't sound like he will play on Sunday. Doesn't sound like Rich Incognito will be able to quite return yet. They lose Denzel Good to the ACL. They lose Gerald McCoy out for the season. Marcus Mariota is going to be out several weeks, it sounds like. I think they can still field a pretty good team, you know, without those guys, but it does obviously hurt their depth. Yeah, I think with Ngakwe, there might be a little bit of hope. I think he was limited yesterday in the walkthrough with the hamstrings, so he wasn't a complete non-participant. So, you know, hamstrings are tricky. You kind of have to see how they progress um, throughout the week, but it is a short week, and and I would imagine that if it's, you know, not all the way there or still a little edgy, they'll probably hold him out just to be safe so he doesn't, you know, suffer more significant hamstring injury. You know, I think him being out would, would be... Obviously, the offensive line injuries are huge, and, and that's probably the key to the game. But I think with Ngakwe on, on that defensive side of the ball, you know, Carl Nassett played pretty well, uh, especially toward the end of the game. But I don't think any of us think he would, he's at the same level as Ngakwe. You know, we were kind of really all, all pretty impressed with, with the pass rush in week one. Um, I think it would take – I mean, obviously, to take a step back without Ngakwe. But kind of opened the door for Cleve Farrell. I know John Gruden said that – He's having some kind of back issue, but he hasn't been listed on the injury report. So I don't you know. It's kind of <laughs> we don't know all the way on that one. But you, you would assume that if Ngakwe is out, that Farrell would have a chance to get active. And as we'll see if being inactive week one kind of motivates him to, to push on. But definitely the O-line. I mean, that's, you know, that has to be the biggest concern going into this game. Basically being without your two starting guards. You know, Andre James had some issues in his first game this season as a starter. Alex Leatherwood, you know, he's a rookie, you know, right tackle going up against, you know, all those edge guys that we talked about earlier. The offensive line seems a little bit vulnerable and, and, you know, they already weren't able to run that well last week. And so if that remains the case against the Steelers, it could be a, a long day for the offense. 
So we're looking at a uh, John Simpson, Jermaine Illuminor combo right at guard. They added Jordan Simmons, uh, who spent the 2017 season with them on the practice squad, then has been in Seattle. He did go through a training camp under Gruden and Cable back in 2018 and before going up to Seattle. So he's a guy that I think he, he started uh, six games last year for Seattle, um, has nine career starts. So a little depth experience. Obviously, we know Nick Martin can play guard in a pinch. They've got some bodies there. Um, obviously, it's not the same as being able to throw out incognito and good, but you know we'll see what what the reinforcements can do. Yeah, and the other piece of that is uh, particularly with the running game is Josh Jacobs. You know, he still has that that lingering toe injury, and I think they also listed an ankle injury for him yesterday. And so, uh, when you kind of pair the offensive line being compromised with Jacobs not being all the way right, it doesn't really bode well for their run game, especially going up against you know the Steelers defense. Yeah, and this is going to be even bigger test than the Ravens because, you know, with the Ravens, you didn't really have a threat of really bad one-on-one matchups because, you know, their pass rush is predicated on the blitz. But even then, Leatherwood really struggled with um, Justin Houston. And, you know, that's that's kind of be part of the growing experience for him. He just didn't get a lot of playing time against real pass rushers in the preseason. And now he's going to be going against Watt and some of the pass rushers that – the Steelers could present on paper. This looks like a really difficult, difficult matchup for the, the Raiders offense. Monday night, uh, it seemed like the Raiders did a lot of trying to get the ball down the field to Waller. Do we kind of expect that the combination of where their offensive line is and what they're facing in that Steelers pass rush, that this might be a game where it's a lot more just you know, let's get it out quick. Let's get the quick passing game going and see if we can uh, generate some offense that way. Yeah, I think quick passing game, and like Mark mentioned, they, they got to run the ball. They got if, if if Jacobs can't run that much, they got to use Drake. But they got to get the run established, kind of keep the Steelers on their heels a little bit. And that could also be, like you said, short passes. But they have to definitely uh, have some ball control, maybe some more three tight end sets. Uh, they get Foster Moreau involved. He didn't have a catch last week, so there's definitely other options they can use. But uh, I don't see throwing a ball to, to Waller 19 times being a recipe for success in this game. There are ways to create mismatches within that defense. You know, the Steelers are kind of famous for putting linebackers on all pro receivers or tight ends. And so there are ways where you you can mess with this defense and create some pretty bad mismatches. Gruden can create some explosive plays or scheme up some explosive plays. But moving the ball consistently is, is going to be rough going for the Raiders, I think, in this game. In week one, they kind of compensated for the offensive line. Was I mean, Even though they threw the ball so many times, they were in, in heavier sets the majority of their snaps, you know, either having two running backs or multiple tight ends or three tight ends even, especially when you get guys like Derek Carrier out there mostly acting as blockers. He's Obviously, he's not as big of an offensive lineman, but um, he kind of adds an extra blocker out there to, to help them hold up a little bit more so they can take those deep shots. I do think, you know, they have to be cautious not to get too redundant because if you, you know, if you are running the ball and it's not going that well and you couple that with a bunch of short passes, it's kind of like you're just running the ball every play in, in a sense. And it makes it you know easier for the Steelers to kind of lock in and play the underneath stuff. And, you know, like Ted was saying, I, I think it'd be pretty tough to move the ball that way. So I do think they still need to retain some aggression when it comes to pushing the ball down the field. Obviously, if, you know, they're just teeing off and, and getting the car instantly, you can't do that. But I definitely think they need to avoid um getting too you know in love with that short passing game you know what i, I didn't realize until i was reading mark's story from a, a couple of days ago that uh, darren waller you know we all know he had the 19 targets on monday those are the third most targets for a tight end since targets became a stat in 1992 uh the most ever targeted our old friend jason witten had 23 in 2012 tony gonzalez had 21 in a 2005 game you know we knew it was a lot 
I'm going to blame Josh Dubow. He, you know, Vic, you were kind of asking if it was possibly historic and, uh, he kind of dismissed you, and uh, it was. It was uh, the third most tight end targets since 92. I think that's what gets caught the Steelers' attention so much. Uh, as Mike Tomlin said earlier this week, you better be prepared to deal with 19 targets. Like we said, we don't think they'll probably go that way as much this game, but um, that's what the Steelers are thinking. Yeah, Josh was too busy looking up uh, some more Derek Carr stats. Uh, he's pretty pretty locked in. But, yeah, I think um, we asked both John and, and Derek about the targets, and I think John said, you know, I throw 29 times. He didn't like your question. Nah, and, and Derek said, you know, 30 times. So, obviously, they have no problems force-feeding Darren Waller, and he's a great player. And so, yeah, obviously, you don't want teams to take away your best guy. So, they're definitely determined to, to keep him involved. But 19 still seems a little high to me. I think we saw at the end of that game, Edwards had a big role late. So, you can spread the ball around a little more and also have results. I think part of the reason why they targeted Waller so much is the Ravens just didn't want to double-team him. So if you keep single-covering your best player, you should force-feed him. I don't think the Steelers will do that, I mean, you know, especially after a game like that. I, I think they're going to try to double him and make it a little tougher to get him targets. The Ravens are like, this guy was on our practice squad. We're not going to double-team a guy from our practice squad. It's funny, though. Like, we're not criticizing them for targeting and force-feeding Waller. But it is kind of funny because sometimes some, one of the criticisms towards Carr is like, you know, we used to have this conversation about Amari Cooper when Amari Cooper would have games where he would not get targeted because we know Carr and Cooper never really quite got in sync. I almost think it is a positive that Carr was trying to force feed it because, you know, that's kind of what we say sometimes. It's like, you know what? Stop only taking what the defense gives you. Try to make plays to your playmakers. And that's what he did. Now, he didn't have a lot of success early on as he was trying to force feed it. But eventually it loosened up and, and, you know, Waller still had a pretty had a really big game. Yeah, I think the temptation to deep and remaining aggressive, I don't think that should necessarily change. It's just you want to be a little bit more diverse in the targets. You know, we saw Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs in that fourth quarter in overtime really come on strong for them. And, and I don't see why you can't try some of those deep shots. Those guys, those guys, I know he took a couple, but, you know, we all keep going back to that play in the first quarter. Henry Ruggs screaming wide open. It just seemed like they weren't necessarily looking for those guys really early on almost at all and so obviously some of that is design you know Gruden you know has a hand in that as well so I think you know collaboratively you know both between Gruden and Carr they need to look for those young guys a little bit more earlier on so you know it's not as predictable when you're just throwing it deep to Waller every time yeah I agree you know we, we've seen games where Carr get really aggressive one game and he was really aggressive against the Ravens in a game where he took a lot of hits and saw a lot of pressure he kept on wanting to hold on to the ball to buy time for those guys to get deep, even late into the game, into overtime, which was pretty impressive. But we've seen this happen in the past where he, he got really aggressive and the next game he goes ultra conservative. So, you know, we want to see Carr continue to remain aggressive, even in this game, because there will be some opportunities downfield. I mean, there will be a little bit more quick passing game involved, like we said. But, you know, I agree with you. I think there will be some opportunity for shots and you know, if you're a Raider fan, you want to see Clark have a second aggressive game in a row. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, when we look at what the defense was able to do, we were impressed with them on Monday night. I think this is a chance that they could really kind of build some confidence because, like we've said, this is going to be a tough matchup for the Raiders offense against that Steelers defense. But we think the Steelers offense isn't as scary as they have been in the past. So if this is a game where the the, the Raiders defense can hold them to, to 20 points, 24 points, what keep them in this game and can have a second straight game where they're like, you know what? We didn't just survive, but we contributed to us being competitive, us winning maybe, that could be a big, you know, just kind of a big boost for them as they head into a season where we're all just counting on them trying to become an average defense that can help this team. I agree. I think we'll definitely see, like, my two biggest questions coming into the year were uh, the run defense and the depth of this team. I think both of those will be tested uh, really severely this weekend. I think the depth, how they've lost already four guys already, and it might be five. So the guys got to step up. And the run game, in that Ravens game, Tyson Williams had some big runs, but he missed a few blocks. He got taken out, and they brought on Latavius Murray, who just was still learning the system. So, and they still get obviously Lamar Jackson is a unique creature. So, I think the Ravens ran for 180. I'm sure the Steelers are going to want to try to establish a run also. So, I think that's a big test for these guys to show that they have made some uh, real improvements from, from last season. Yeah, I think that's where I'm looking for the biggest leap. I mean, I, the Steelers didn't have much success running the ball against the Bills. And, you know, as Mark said, their offensive line is, is pretty questionable. And so, obviously, the, the, the Raiders, you know, have some injuries. Losing Gerald McCoy, who's one of their best run defenders. And, you know, Yannick's not known for his run defense. Um, not, you know, maybe not having him as well and, and their linebacker injuries. So, I think that's where they really need to make the biggest improvement this week. You know, the past defense wasn't perfect you know, against the Ravens. They, they gave up a lot of underneath stuff, which is, you know, where the Steelers, you know, make their living. So uh, that'll be something to watch as well. But I think, you know, the next step for this defense is really kind of showing up, shoring up against the run. Also, you know, Bradley's defense is predicated on forcing quarterbacks to throw the ball short and, you know, rallying up and making tackles. But I wonder how he would switch that up this week because we know Roethlisberger is going to keep taking the underneath stuff and he's happy doing that. So will he challenge him to um, to, to throw deep and will he play a little bit more man coverage? Can the, the young Raiders secondary hold up against those receivers? You know, Roethlisberger's arm might not be where it used to be, but, you know, every once in a while he could get that get the ball deep and can they hold up when he do, when he does do that? I was going to say, Gus is not a big blitz guy. and only blitzed twice last week, but I could definitely see more blitzes this week trying to keep keep the Steelers honest. I think I could see, you know, Littleton or Hobbs uh, doing some stuff as far as blitzes go. Yeah, it was a big band. He gets the ball out so quickly. I think in week one, he had like the lowest, um, you know, time holding the ball before a pass in, in the league. And you probably might not have enough time to, to get home just rushing for, especially if you don't have Yannick out there. And so, like you said, sending some extra blitzes, that could be a way to kind of disrupt that short passing game. Um, obviously, you know, if he's there's throwing a bunch of dump offs, it's kind of hard to get there, but it'll un- increase the chances a little bit. You know, one other transaction the Raiders made this week we didn't talk about, a uh, practice squad signing, but Haha Clinton Dix, obviously a guy that is not didn't play last season, um, has bounced around the last few years, isn't the same guy that was an All-Pro uh, in 2016 with the, the Packers, but he is a veteran. Any chance? Do you th- I mean, we saw him. He had an interception that he nearly took back for a touchdown against the Raiders in the preseason. Uh, any chance that this could be a, a guy that 
contribute some some depth. I mean, you saw on you know on Monday night that Dallin Levitt, who we didn't really expect to still be on this roster, uh, he actually played a decent amount of snaps for them when they went into that uh, three safety package. Yeah, I guess the injury that I missed earlier was, was Roderick Teamer. Um, you know, he had a, I believe, shorter shoulder and ankle injuries last week, and ended up being inactive. And um, and he's a guy. That's the reason they call, cut Carl Joseph was was to keep him around. And you know, he played a lot kind of in that that box safety role behind Abram, and he wasn't out there. And so, um, I believe he was limited again this week in practice with those same injuries. And so, uh, if there is any concern about him not being able to go, um, I know Ha Ha hasn't played in a long time, but. A bunch of fans would rather see him out there maybe than, than Dallin Levitt on, on some of those plays, especially. I mean, Dallin Levitt was getting snaps going into overtime. And um, he didn't make any, like, you know, glaring mistakes or anything, but he wasn't making many plays out there either. And so, um, you know, if they do have any concern about Roderick being able to go this week, maybe we do see Ha-Ha get some time. Just a great name, man. You can't say his name without smiling. Like, you know, Ha-Ha. Like, just fabulous. I mean, have you, guys, have you guys heard Greg Papa's call of the interception? Peterman going to pump, go down the middle. That ball is intercepted by Ha-Ha. Ha-Ha-Ha. Ha-Ha-Ha. Is he going to take it to the end zone? Ha-Ha. Clinton Dix will get tripped out. He was just enjoying letting out the Ha-Ha-Ha. I was going to say, also, you, you bring a man, see what he has left, you kick the tires kind of, and also you can be kind of that theoretical guy. Like last year, Theo didn't play a lot, but he was a great guy in the locker room and the running back room leadership experience, and they have a lot of young safeties in the squad, so definitely any expertise or advice that Ha-Ha can lend, I'm sure it would, would be welcome. So Levitt was being used whenever the Raiders used their big dime personnel, which is, you know, with the nickel and Hobbs on the field and three safeties. And I think Levitt's pretty much just there because he knows what the defense is. That's when they get a little more exotic and, you know, they're doing a little more creative things. And obviously Levitt's been in training camp, so he knows the system. So, you know, I think maybe HaHa can offer a little more athleticism, but it just depends on how quickly he could pick up some of these more exotic coverages and blitzes on, on third down. All right, we haven't talked yet about Marcus Mariota. I mentioned him a little bit earlier that uh, could miss several weeks, uh, restrained the quad. One play is all it took. And, I mean, you hate to say it because, you know, he played well in that one game last year. He great in that one play. Unfortunately, he's been a bit fragile for them. And Gruden said that he was going to be a big part of their offense. I don't, you know, Vic, I, I don't think you are quite certain you believe that how much he would have been a big part, but what is this loss for them? I mean, it's a backup quarterback who we're not entirely convinced they were really going to create that large of a package for, but he does bring something to the table that they don't have. Yeah, it definitely was a wrinkle on that last year, 31-yard play, so I'm sure the Steelers would have to at least talk about it this week in practice and try to see what they could do as far as if he came in, well, what do we you – know? so I think it's definitely something teams had to worry about. Now it's gone. There, there is no uh, Peterman package I'm sorry, guys, but um, Can we got a Case Cookus package. Bring him no, back. No, but like so, yeah. The, the problems are, are, arise if if Craig gets hurt again. Like he never gets hurt, but last year he missed that one game. And then it's, a, it's a big drop off for for Mariota to Peterman. I mean, I think Mariota came in and showed why he was a starting quarterback for a while. He has that you know elite athleticism, but uh, like you said, the knock on him is uh, the accuracy is not great. That's I didn't say that, but you said he's injury prone. Definitely, is a little fragile, and that's been a problem for the just. In, not only his two years here, but also throughout his career. So I know uh, the Raiders are a little frustrated, but you know, guys get hurt, you can't get upset. That's just the way the game is. But they would like him to be a little more durable than he is. But that's just that's just life. Yeah, I mean Mariota. I mean, the last couple of years in Tennessee, he's dealing with injuries then, and so it seems like who, who he is at this point. But I know there's nothing they can do about it now. But that is, you know, over twelve million dollars they've 
basically flushed down the drain the last two years for a backup. And so who knows who they could have gotten with that money last year. But, you know, it's another example of them not using their, their free agent dollars in the best way. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, we're going to ask a few questions here. Uh, first one from for Tashawn from Jeff Spiegel. Can you ask Deshaun if he hates it when Raider fans are happy? It only took him four minutes on the last pod to bring up Furl being scratched. I think it was longer than four minutes. Uh, no, nah, I, I don't have anything against, against Raiders fans. I know I've been getting a lot of a lot of shit from my, my five takeaways after the game. It was a little I was a little concerned about a few things. I think we see this week with all these injuries. Why well, I was a little bit concerned, but you know my, my my little review piece after that I was pretty positive. So I don't, I don't have any any beef with you guys. I just. You know, try to keep it a little real. All right. Question from Antonio. Have the coaches given up on Furl? Can he play interior on the D-line well enough to stay active? They need him uh, because uh, last week he was a healthy scratch. I think one of the reasons that, uh, that John mentioned the back ailments we talked about on the other day was because they have to tell Clee, hey, you're a big, you're, we need you now. You're a big part of this. We always, we always want to injure you. Like, you're always a part of our plans, even though you had kind of fallen off and was like the ninth D-lineman, you know, as of uh, – Last week, but I think Cleese had flashes. I, mean, I think he's Cleese not a bad player. I've always said it's not his fault he was picked fourth overall. I think he definitely shown some run defensibility. He can set the edge at times. He can move inside. Uh, it's just the fact that this year they've added so many guys that they feel are better in each of those certain roles where he kind of got pushed towards the back of the line. But obviously, I'm sure he has a lot of pride. I'm sure he wants to prove he can be a part of this team. So it's a good spot for him. I mean, obviously not a great opponent, but I mean, just in terms will have a role, will have some snaps and a chance to kind of make a positive impression both on his coaches and on, on the fans uh, once again. I think probably the issue with him, right, is that he's jack of all trades, master of none kind of type where he can fill a lot of roles. But like you said, Vic, with all the bodies they brought in, they have guys that can better fill the edge rushing role, the run defense role. Like, he can do a lot of everything, but there are guys that individually can do those little things better. Yeah, and it comes down to me. I don't want to oversimplify things, but it comes down to like you know when he was drafted. The biggest knock was that twitch is not the, the you want that quick twitch either on the rush or even inside. You need guys who can get you know inside quickly, and he doesn't have that. He's just uh, he's obviously a big, strong guy. He's a guy smart. He's got some like a lot of different things. You said a lot of, a lot of strengths. Overall, lack of explosiveness is what's going to hurt him as far as being an impact guy, either outside or inside. Yeah, because I think even Darius Phylon has more twitchiness in terms of being no an doubt. interior rusher. No doubt. I'm going to combine a couple questions here from Harpy's Bazaar and from Patrick. Uh, they want to know about Trayvon Merrick. Uh, how did he do in his first NFL game? The announcers and the refs never mentioned his name, so I guess he did okay. He's playing free safety, and um, if you're not getting beat 
as a free safety, you're doing your job. Um, there, was a, there was a couple plays where he showed off his range, but, you know, he's mainly an eraser back there, and um, the Ravens didn't really break pass into the secondary that many times, and um, they, they weren't passing down the seam that many times, so they weren't calling his name, and, you know, I, I wouldn't expect him to get called that much un, un, unless you see a ball, uh, somebody really chucking the ball downfield, but, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to happen in week two either so um yeah i watched the film i thought he had a pretty decent game but it's hard f- to be a crazy playmaker from that position unless your name is uh, earl thomas but the only negative play i guess i, I really noticed from him rewatching it was on that tyson williams uh touchdown run uh, littleton i know he took the bad angle uh in the box and missed that but also uh trayvon took like a weird angle coming down from the safety position and he would have had a chance to, to stop him probably for like a first down but because of the angle he took, Tyson was able to turn that into that, that 35-yard touchdown. But outside of that, I mean, I didn't really notice anything where he, he looked bad. I'll be a little harsher. I, maybe because my bar was higher. I, I was pretty high on him. But I thought he looked lost uh, quite a bit in that game, actually. I thought, and I guess it's a tough opponent. It's your first game of the of your career. And definitely, you know, Lamar Jackson brings some unique challenges. So I thought there were a handful of plays where he looked like he knew what, what he was doing. Again, though, I mean, I think otherwise he was fine. But I, I think um, – my bar is pretty high. I thought he was going to be an impact guy this year, and that, that wasn't the case week one. But, again, it's, it's, a, it's a long season, so we'll see what happens uh, this weekend. All right, last question here. This one's from Stephen F. Uh, what are the chances the Raiders look to strengthen their interior offensive line depth with a big name? He first threw out DJ Fluker, then realized that he's got a suspension. Um, so w- wants to know maybe what are some big-name options the Raiders can look into? I know you know Monday night into Tuesday people were th- trying to throw out, you know, hey, Call Kalechi back, Kalechi Assembly, uh, David DeCastro. I mean, those are guys that are, you know, big names, but I, I don't know that they're very realistic. Yeah, Kalechi's not coming back. That didn't, that didn't end well with him and John, so that, that's not going to happen. Like, people don't like Jordan Simmons? I mean, yeah, no, no love for Jordan Simmons, but uh, no, nah, I think they're all right. I think, like, uh, Lemonur played, um, I don't know if he played great, but like John mentioned, he didn't really hear his name, so I think he did enough good things where you didn't notice him being an issue. I think he'll be all right, and... Ideally, Richie's back um, next week, and so I thought Simpson was fine. So I think you got enough there to kind of hold the hold the line for a while. I'm not sure if any of these guys you've that are possibly on the free agent market are really going to be impact guy. I mean, it's week two of the NFL season. If you're not playing for someone, there's probably a good reason why. So I, th- I think they're fine. I think they hold the line and, and go with what they have and see what happens. If they could stay healthy when Incognito comes back, I think they'll get better as the season goes along. Uh, Andre James just needs more experience. Alex Leatherwood needs more experience. You know, I think Tom Cable's done a really good job the last few years, and these guys just need time to develop. All right, guys, it's prediction time. Raiders heading to Pittsburgh. They are looks like five and a half point uh, underdogs. Ted, let's have you bat lead off. Uh, you and I were the uh, the two that correctly predicted a Raiders Week One win. Uh, so, what do you say for Week Two? There's going to be too much to overcome in this game. I could see this the score getting a little lopsided in, in Pittsburgh for this game, which you know doesn't mean that the Raiders are going to all of a sudden tank the rest of the season. But uh, I just think this matchup is uh, is too difficult with the injuries. And uh, the, the Pittsburgh defense is just too good. 31-21. All right, I'll go next. Uh, I, I think the Raiders are going to play okay. You know, it's not going to be a, a, a terrible showing. I don't know that they're going. You know, we saw the offense struggle at the, at the outset against the Ravens and they got into a nice sink, you know, got into a nice rhythm. We'll see if they can carry that over. But I just, I think this Pittsburgh defense is going to be 
you know, just too good. That pass rush too good against a, an offensive line that's still working out some kinks. So I'm going to go with Pittsburgh 27 and the Raiders 21. Yeah, man, for all these up these injuries, I was I was leaning towards towards the upset, but uh, yeah, screw it. You you, you are uh, let's see, I'm I'm looking at the expert picks here, and uh, you, you're 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 on record with the Raiders. Are you changing from your expert pick? Don't be a coward, Tashawn. I thought Yannick was gonna play in uh, the, the offensive line, but uh, that's tough. I mean, I, I you know, since, especially since they think I, I hate them, I'll stick with the the Raiders. Um, I'll pick them to, to come out with the but the upset, let's see, score-wise, I'll go 24-20. Uh, I think it'll be a relatively low-scoring game, but uh, at least they somehow figure out how to navigate this offensive line and get things going on the ground a little bit. And Derek Carr stays aggressive. And, you know, Big Ben, you know, he, he looks like he did in week one, and then the Steelers aren't, aren't able to put enough points up on the board. Yeah, I'll go with the uh, the Raiders to cover again. Uh, Jimmy keeps mentioning how they, they uh, I picked the, the Ravens, but I picked the Raiders to cover the spread, so I still want to know <laughs> my Raiders picks. So I got the Raiders losing. I'm going to go 27-22 to cover the spread. I think the biggest issues are the depth and the run defense. I think those two definitely won't uh, won't help them out this weekend. So I think the Steelers will run the ball a lot this weekend and do pretty well. And I think the Raiders' offense will be maybe a tad out of sync with the O-line issues. But uh, I think it'll be a close game. I think the Steelers are not like a, some juggernaut team. So I think the Raiders are good enough to hang in there and, and make it a ball game. I really hope it's a two-point conversion just to get the cover that, that gets them to the 22. <laughs> that would uh, raise some eyebrows around the league uh, if, if they did that just to cover. But looking forward to Sunday, the Raiders trying to start 2-0. and They did start 2-0 and last season, right? Yeah, because they, they beat the Panthers on the road, and they came back and beat the Saints in the home opener. Beat the Saints, yeah. Josh had a stat about uh, 13 out of 18 times that they've started 2-0, and they've made the playoffs. 2017 and 2020 so the last two times they did it uh were obviously times they did not make the playoffs but we're not going to bring that negativity in that the last two times they've gone 2 and 0 they didn't make the playoffs but because if they can start 2 and 0 um that'll be uh that'll get that'll get them fired up and uh you know we'll see if they can uh, keep it going but uh should be a fun game at Pittsburgh no Antonio Brown to go for nearly 300 yards receiving like he did last time uh I know Vic and I were there for that one uh, that six years ago or whatever you know d'angelo williams went for like 200 yards on the ground and antonio brown oh, said no negative ne- negativity all this negativity at the end what's uh, going no, on man? That, that was a fun game though it was Derek carr was on fire that game that was uh that was that was a fun one back there in pittsburgh uh, so we'll see uh we'll see what happens on sunday all right later all right see you all right guys adios